continuing my conversation today with Nikki Curtis about the oral motor exam. That's what we're talking about today on The Working Therapist. Welcome to The Working Therapist, a podcast designed to help you grow in your therapy practice. The Working Therapist is an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network. Now here are your hosts, Hayden Bolick and Kirstie Miles. Okay, so what else for oral motor would you consider part of the oral motor exam? Well, certainly we can look at the lips. Yep. You know, again, that starts from the outside. We can see how do they move, Mm -hmm. um, how they coordinate to retract and protract, you know, spread and pucker. Mm-hmm. And you can do the the infamous <laughs> ooh ee ooh ee ooh ee. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. But that tells you a lot, you know. It even does. if you do it in not rapid success, well, I do it in rapid. You know, you do it in I, you know, ooh ee ooh ee. But then then be able to do ooh ee ooh five times in a row. That tells you can they maintain that coordinated movement, yeah. that back and forth. I mean, you, you, for speech sound production, you have to be able to go front to back to back to front to mid to up to down. Right. You know, and if they can't do the ooh ee and then their speech sounds all jumbled that tells you a lot of good stuff a little bit i mean because you know we differentiate consonants and vowels based on how our lips are are moving where they're placed if they're Mm -hmm. you know what i'm saying i do if we're rounded yep yeah (laughs) and so i think if they can't get that you know then it tells you a lot the lips have to be part of the oral motor exam for arctic or for feeding Absolutely. Um, I know we talked about the cheeks already as we're looking at the face. Right. <clears throat> but do you consider like, I consider the cheeks part of the oral motor exam, not just sure. in the face, but I also consider the inside of the cheeks important. You know, I don't know what you think just because of the inside of the cheeks aren't doing anything. You Are know? you thinking about like tone, like yeah. muscle tone? Tone and then also sensitivity. Mm-hmm. You know, because if you're if the inside of your cheeks are super sensitive, like if you have a heightened gag reflex, mm-hmm. not that that's a necessarily a telltale sign for any problem. There's a lot of people out there with a heightened gag and they're sure. fine. But some of you had the heightened gag, the inside of their cheeks are super sensitive. Their tongue is sensitive. They only eat certain textures. Their speech their sound productions are really poor or they're maybe not making a lot of sounds. All that together starts to add up to something. Yes. So right. I think the cheeks are important in terms of just sensitivity. Mm-hmm. And, and but, but then all the other stuff you said earlier about tone and all that stuff too, though. Well, and, you know, babies have those big old fat pads. <laughs> Which are important. <laughs> Which are important. <laughs> Which are important, yes. They, but, they, <laughs> yeah. but then once you get rid of those, right. you get older. Right. So what do we miss Good. for the oral motor exam? Um, so we still need to talk about tongue yes. and palate. That's kind of important, two things. I also like to look in the tonsils and the adenoids. Oh, what do you, tell me about that. Well, I mean, what do they look like? Are are they <laughs> swollen? Um, yes. What's the color like? You know, can you see about the color? That's interesting. Breathing. Well, I mean, are, is it pink or is it red or is it white? Yeah. So I mean, that kind of color. That's what I mean. Yeah. No, that's good though. But you're right. That's important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you can see the tonsils, shouldn't be able to see a lot of. Shouldn't tonsils. really. Be, I should be able to see your uvula if I'm like really looking under there. Yeah. But probably not. And I, I, there, there have been some um, kids where I have been surprised by the size of tonsils and adenoids when I look in the back of their mouth, and I'm like, no wonder you're not making a K and a G, <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no wonder you're fronting everything. Let yes. me call mom. Excuse me. Um, does does your child snore a lot at night? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> mouth breathing a lot. <laughs> Constant runny nose. Yeah. Um. <sighs> You've been to see the ENT. <laughs> a visit in the ENT can be in your very near future. <laughs> right. Like, yeah. So, um, no, I agree with you about that because it's something, you know, very important. <laughs> very important. It is. Um, and yeah. it, it's honestly, 
even though like in graduate school and I had class on voice, you yeah. know, and voice disorders, and we absolutely looked in and talked about all of that, it wasn't something that I necessarily regularly included as part of a of an exam or, you know, I, I might look, I would certainly look in the mouth, but I might not peer as closely at, at those so. tonsils as, as I'm you know, in the beginning, as I certainly do now. Yep. And that's that experience part of things that have come in. No, I think it's important. I, yeah. I think especially a child whose intelligibility is really low and they're presenting with a lot of phonological processes. I mean, I think you have to think about mm -hmm. adenoids, tonsils, and hearing status and that yeah. kind of stuff because it tells you, it helps paint the whole big picture. Kind of a sidebar is um, when you do look at the mouth, sometimes I have seen before where the uvula will deviate to one side or the other. Mm -hmm. Now that could be an indication of like a submucous cleft or maybe right. something, but I have noticed that sometimes with certain kids who have like really pronounced or maybe like one side of weakness or the other that kind of, but I mean that's kind of like oh yeah the, the uvula is deviated yeah. because already the one side of the face is no nowhere near symmetrical to the other so it's kind of an extreme kind of thing but I have seen that before and I I think you can also if there is some sort of submucous cleft sometimes you might have that bifurcated mm -hmm. uvula yeah. Yeah, that yeah. could be an indication for that. I've not personally seen that, but I've seen, but it's been extreme and it's not very often. Mm -hmm. I already knew there was a neurologic kind of situation gotcha. happening and all that kind of stuff. So it wasn't like a, oh, surprise. It was more of a, oh, yeah, in addition to. <laughs> but, you know, it didn't, nothing big deal. Didn't affect treatment too much. Well, <laughs> and that kind of brings us to looking at the palate. Yes. Yeah. Is it, does the child have a very high palate or narrow palate, yeah. which can make it hard to make some, like a... Uh, velar sounds are you know palatal sounds also looking for evidence of submucous cleft high arched palate can also tell you what kind of bottle feeder they were mm. because if they didn't get like the negative pressure when they were taking a bottle then because a lot of times you know with that positive and negative pressure with taking a bottle and nippling is um, the negative pressure helps pull the palate down. And so if they didn't do that really well and they were sort of ineffective with uh, taking a bottle, then feeding skills are going to yeah. all be behind or potentially because all those feeding skills are also helping to develop speech sounds later. So it sure. could also affect speech sound development. Yeah. It's just something to think about. It doesn't mean that everybody right. with a high palate has that. It's just something to think it's, about. It just it gives us that big picture. It sure does. And we yep. can look at how yep. everything comes together. And then kind of the, the last structure that um, I usually focus on is is the tongue. Yes. You know? Yes. That's, of course, of course. Yes. <laughs> it's kind of a thing. It, <laughs> yes. It, it has yeah. to move quickly and efficiently from one place to the other. It needs to go forward and back and up and down and sideways and... <laughs> yep. And so if there's and so if there's any kind of like you know uh, uh, fasciculations in the yeah. tongue movement or deviations yeah. or just overall movement and all that, yes. So yeah, often looking at you can do the the putica, the mm -hmm. or the buttercup to see how that coordination happens from front to front to back. You That's can good. also look at the lateralization of the tongue. Are they resting their tongue on their lip? Yep. Uh, as they're moving, as, uh, as they're moving their tongue, <laughs> it's a visual. <laughs> it doesn't help us. I know, you can't, I know you can't see that, but it was a good visual for me. So there you go. Yeah. Um, or is the jaw moving along with the tongue yeah. so that they they're not able to get isolated lingual movements? Yep. That's all really important. Are they able to lift their tongue up to touch their alveolar ridge? Mm -hmm. So we can see if there is evidence of like a tongue tie, mm -hmm. looking for that kind of typical heart shape. To the tongue is they're trying to lift it up one of our therapists mm -hmm. she has a very very tight frenulum really lingual frenulum huh 
Don't tell me. I'll have to guess. I no, said, I won't. You won't guess right now, but I'll have to go and uh, just guess. Really? She's she's an a she. That doesn't help because no. we're all she's. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was gonna say that doesn't narrow anything mm-hmm. down. Hmm. Interesting. And she, so, well, I don't know. I don't fine. know of any therapist that we have that has any kind of speech impediment whatsoever. Nope. <laughs> so, no. No. Huh. So I mean, I mean, and that's certainly mm-hmm. another kind of a topic to talk about too. So Nikki, now as we talked earlier about, we've said over and over how important the oral motor exam is. Yeah. So now let's talk about the application. Like what? So you did the oral motor exam. We talked through all that. So now what do you do with some of the information that you got? You know, how does it impact like your goal setting, your plan of care, that kind of thing? Probably the most obvious way that that we can use this is to help us to understand is what the child's demonstrating to us, a child who may have low intelligibility, um, who may have speech sound errors, which may or may not fit into a pattern like a phonological process kind of a pattern, but help us to to differentiate is it, is it? Mm-hmm. a phonological disorder versus an articulation disorder. I know that there's discussion in the field about how can we really separate those two or is it all part of the same kind of system? But I think we can look at the motor planning, the the motor yep. movement for speech. So if the first thing about the oral motor exam is it informs us, is it a speech sound production? like, And how is the anatomy working? Yep. And then also the physiology, is it a speech sound issue or a phonology issue, right? That's or what both. you're saying. Or both. Yes, God help their little cells. It can uh, be both. Yes. Oh, most of the time it is both, right? Those times Sometimes never we had that final consonant deletion oh. and we see that they're not able to, you know, diff- like move the tongue without moving yes. the jaw. And right. Uh, and yes. we don't see the lip rounding ability. So everything is a smiley face yes. like that. So yep. often it, it's kind of blurry. But, it, you know, it really helps us to know what interventions are likely to be the most effective. Yes. Um, and how to give the child, what kind of feedback to give to the child um, and to the parent. So I think that's one way it does it. Then it mm-hmm. also helps us, us to differentiate like apraxia. So it helps us to yes. diagnose apraxia, for yes. example. And because, you know, most children with apraxia are not able, well, they cannot imitate. And they really can't right. produce a lot of the, in all the specific and isolated movements we're talking about before. And then also, so it helps to us to come up with a diagnosis of apraxia or certainly supports does. that diagnose, right. diagnosis. Yeah. Yep. I think that that's true. It, yeah. You know, and apraxia is a... Um, can be a little bit of a tricky one so i think it's important to have all of that information together Mm -hmm. to um as you said to inform your decision making yes yep and then also dysarthria and dysarthria so there we're looking a lot a lot at um muscle tone and coordination right yep um so i had a child i worked with um he was uh i want to say 10 10 ish i started working in the school and then would see him privately um later on and he was not diagnosed with like anything that would help me to figure this out I had to use my observations about his tone and his you know his face was low tone and he had an open mouth and his body was very weak overall and he slouched and um you know talking with his doctor um and referring for neurology and it's like we were able to say yeah you know he does have dysarthria we do have to work on this muscle tone and coordination. So it is another tool there. I think a lot of times we think pediatrics, people don't think dysarthria. Or, you know? I think you're right. Yeah, but mm-hmm. I think it's, it's it's absolutely appropriate for the right patient, you know, for mm-hmm. a dis- di- diagnose that. And um, there's one little boy that I can think of that we currently see that I would absolutely categorize, or I think that di- uh, dysarthria best is really the best way to you know to really categorize or to 
to label some of his speech sound issue mm-hmm. errors. You know, it just sort of helps sort of say this is kind of what we got going on. But it's very, very appropriate in some situations. But not. But sometimes people don't link that and peds together. But the oral motor exam helps figure out where it the does. weaknesses are, where the problems might be, and then also uh, helps to make referrals to the appropriate source. Absolutely. Neurologist versus the ENT, like we've talked about earlier, yep. versus the whoever else might be need to be involved. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then, of course, the oral motor exam sets us up for feeding and feeding issues. Yes. And a lot of people do think about the oral motor exam in conjunction with feeding, but I just think it's so important, like we've talked about today, how it's so important for speech, too, and phonology and all. And we've even talked, and like we said earlier, like language potentially to rule out some things so that we don't come so that because really we're just trying to figure out okay what can this child do in an assessment mm-hmm. and what can't they do and part of the can and the can't is you're really making sure you're using the right diagnostic tools you know to really yes. sort of decipher and yep. figure it all out and and then to ch- uh, select the appropriate interventions yeah yeah yes that's kind of important mm-hmm. and then that really dictates then how you progress from one session to the next and document accordingly and all that good mess, mm-hmm. which is really another podcast. Everything's a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is true. But there's a whole bunch of other podcasts in this thing. So Absolutely. we can get into the specifics of the, of actually the whole oral motor exam, like how you actually do it, you know, because we talked more here, more about why you do it, what you do, and then how it impacts your practice, mm-hmm. but more of the specifics of what do you do f- to assess the lips, the jaw, the cheeks, the tongue, yeah. the everything we talked about. You know, mm-hmm. another day, you know, <laughs> another day. But um, so is there anything else, Nikki, that you'd like to add as we sort of wrap this one up? So really and truly over the course of my career as a speech language pathologist, I have come just as you have said, Hayden, to really value the information that I'm able to gather about the child as a whole with the oral mech examination. It's a great place to start from. Yep. Um, it helps to understand what is a child doing, why are they doing that, and then how can I better assess what assessments, what further tests do I need, what more information do I need, um, what referrals would might be appropriate for this child based on what I have seen. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a good um, foundation for a full child kind of assessment. Yep. It can be done also over the course of multiple sessions too. You know, I think sometimes yes. we as an eva- uh, think, okay, an evaluation today, we're doing it all, we're getting all the answers, but no, kind of it goes back to what you've been saying this whole time is you're doing assessing the whole child. Sometimes, especially for the oral motor exam, you have to, you do have to do it in parts and pieces. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that gives you, as you do that, it gives you more information like what you said. Well, I mean... <laughs> Instead of four-year-old you've never met in front of you and go, go, go ooh, ee, ooh, ee, honey, come on, go. And yeah. they're looking at you like, um, no, no. <laughs> I'm not buying what you're selling, lady. Like, no, 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 no. Take, take that crazy someplace else. That's right. <laughs> like, exactly. No, uh-uh. Yeah. And a four-year-old. Look, I'm, I'm going to go to my mama over here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No. So you're right. Exactly. <laughs> so I think, you know, get, be patient with yourself too with this, you know? Yeah, that's very yeah. good advice. Well, thank you, Nikki. Your expertise is always appreciated. So thanks for joining me today. I really appreciate it. It's fantastic. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. It's a good time. Well, thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time on another episode of The Working Therapist. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of The Working Therapist, an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network. For more information or to contact us, visit us online at www.pediatricdt.com. That's pediatricdt.com.